Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We're in a sermon series called Life Together on Mission. Together, we're learning to join Jesus in his mission in this world. Thanks for joining us. Questions are powerful. One question can change the direction of your life. I've told you before that when I had gotten away from God in high school at 17, there was a family friend who loved me, and yet I wanted to keep avoiding him because God was working on me, but I wasn't quite there yet. And I remember that one time he just got to me before I could get away. And uh, we sat on the lawn uh, at this place in Wisconsin, and he just started asking me how I was doing. And he asked me, uh, again, I was in a relationship uh, with someone where the Lord had been showing me that we were not meant to keep dating, and, but I was fighting that. And he just asked me one question. He said, Jeff, have you ever gotten to the place where you are willing to tell God that you don't think you can live without that person in your life? And I said, I haven't gotten there yet. And I don't remember anything else the rest of the conversation, but I remember over the next few days, it was that question that opened up space for God's grace in my life to just begin to wrestle with that, and it helped me get to the place where I was eventually able to tell God that I didn't think I could, and God was able to show me that I could, and gave me more courage than I had in myself, and one question changed the direction of my life and brought me back towards God. Now, the reason I bring all this up is because today we're going to keep talking about simple habits that Jesus practiced when he was here on earth as he interacted with people in his community and world. And we want to learn how to do that together as a church. If you looked up here at the banners, we're in this series called Life Together on Mission. We've been talking about how our new vision is just simple, life together with Jesus, with one another, with our community and world. And if you've never put it together, these art pictures here are just like a simple walk in the park would be with Jesus. You've got a table there with one another, and then you've got this picture from our community. And we're just learning, how do we do these relationships? How do we give ourselves fully to Jesus and his mission? So if you're following along, first of all, let's just remember that what Jesus' mission is. Jesus' mission is to bring people back into a right relationship with God. Jesus' mission is to bring people back into a right relationship with God. So how does that involve us? So again, I don't know if you brought your journal today. We've invited people to bring it. Uh, We have plenty more in the back, by the way, if you've never gotten one before. It's not too late to get involved in this. But if you were to have one of those journals in front of you and you look inside the back panel, it shows what I shared with you a few weeks ago about our refreshed and renewed vision. And we talked about how our strategy is to do life together with Jesus, one another, in our community and world. How? As we gather, as we grow, and as we go. And so, again, the go part is that we want to learn more and more how to prayerfully go into our community and world as sent people to join Jesus in his mission. And so as we think about that, how do we do that? Well, the first habit that we learned last week was we pray. Now, I don't just mean we shoot up flare prayers all the time. What I mean is it's a very specific kind of prayer that Jesus prayed. And I shared with you last week, if you haven't had a chance to listen to it, I invite you to do that on our website. But it's basically this. Every time when Jesus would pray, all throughout the day, he would freshly surrender, he would consciously depend on his Father, and he would listen, humbly listen, And so that his antennas were always up. He was regularly trying to say, okay, as I walk through this community and world, 
Show me how I do it in sync with you. How my heart beats with you, Father. Your will be done. Your kingdom come. And he just walked through life that way. And again, we talked about the importance of being willing to freshly surrender, consciously depend, and humbly listen to God ourselves. And that's how we can join Jesus. Second habit, though, today is compassionate curiosity. And I'll talk to you about that in just a little bit. But here's just a couple things if you're following along. To see where God's working, Jesus asks questions and listens. We saw that in order for him to know how to interact with people, Jesus had this vertical relationship, but also he had this horizontal relationship. And so as he prayed, as he listened vertically, then horizontally, the way he interacted with people was to ask questions and listen. This was going on even when he was 12 years old. And some people go, well, he's God, so like he had a serious advantage over me. And you're right in some ways. But here's what I want you to understand. If you've never read Philippians 2, Jesus never gave up his deity while he was here on earth. He was God. But he was also fully human. Mystery upon mystery. But what it says is that he emptied himself of the rights and prerogatives of his deity so that when he walked here on earth, he walked as dependently upon God as you and I need to. That meant that the reason why he knew a lot of the things he knew is because as he prayed to the Father, the Father showed him things to know. And that's just an amazing mystery, but that shows that as you and I consciously depend, we can see things too. And the way we need to see things with people is to ask questions and listen. Look at this in Luke 2.46. I just was reading this this week in our Bible reading plan. After three days, Jesus, by the way, his parents couldn't find him when they had gone to a festival. They'd gotten all the way away from the festival and realized he wasn't with them. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, and what, friends? Asking them questions. Jesus was curious. And so we're going to see that. Now, um, one more thing, and that is that by asking questions, Jesus opens space for God's grace to work. Just like my friend did with me, by asking questions, all of a sudden now, it made room for me to think about what God was doing in my life that I was trying to avoid what truth he wanted me to know, what grace he wanted me to know, and that by him caring about me, asking questions, gently probing, it suddenly opens space for grace. Now, I don't know if you've ever realized this, but Jesus asked lots of questions. So I read a book this last month called Curious by Tom Hughes. And it's a powerful thing. It's, it's the power of a question-led life, it talks about. And so look at just a couple quotes from this book, because it really struck me. He says, we can slide into thinking that Jesus is interested in always and only ensuring that we have the right answers. The reality turns out to be somewhat different. He seems more interested in ensuring that we are considering the right questions. In fact, if we include the questions that Jesus puts in the mouths of characters in his parables, Jesus himself asked an astounding 307 questions in the four Gospels. Now, some people have said, well, how would I find that out? If you take a red-letter edition of the Bible and you just read only the things that Jesus says, you'll notice 307 questions. That's an amazing thing. But notice what Tom Hughes also says. Throughout the four Gospels of Jesus, he has asked 183 questions. Of those 183 questions, how many do you think he answered directly? 
Ready? Four. He responds to the other 179 questions with a question, a parable, or a cryptic remark that leaves those gathered with even more questions. Jesus asked questions and listened. He drew people out. He dug deeper. He went below the surface, and he had a way of creating space for God to work in conversations he had with people. And friends, this is what we want to learn as a church. We want to learn how to pray vertically in a way that we're, we're in sync with God, but also we want to learn horizontally how to interact with people in our community and world in such a way that we can be part of what God is already doing in people's lives, even though we may not know it yet. And so today, as we get ready to do that, why do we need this message? Well, I don't know about you, but I could really grow in this. Instead of listening a lot, I talk a lot. Instead of listening a lot, I correct people a lot. Instead of being patient and compassionate, I rush to correct people. I rush to make sure they know how smart I am or how right I am. And what happens is, is that our whole culture has a picture of Christians as people that always think they're right more than always being compassionate and curious. And what people encounter with Jesus his way was so compelling that people were drawn to him even though they may have wanted to hold on to the power and control in their lives. So we want to learn this. And would you pray with me as we get ready to learn more? Lord, now would you use John chapter 4 in our lives to learn more about how to practice this habit of yours called compassionate curiosity. Teach us, Lord, because our community and world is dying to know you. In your name we pray, amen. So would you open your Bibles to John chapter four? I know I usually say it first, I didn't do that today. John chapter four, and if you're using a black Bible, it's on page 862 in those black Bibles, but if you'll turn to that, we're gonna walk through chapter four just as one example of seeing how Jesus asks a question and listens and draws a person out and how it changes things, okay? So again, out to the right of compassionate curiosity, I wrote the word horizontal. And uh, last week, next to the word pray, I wrote the word vertical. And so again, you and I can't really practice the horizontal if we haven't been practicing the vertical. So we want to learn how to do both of these and put these together. But that way, with our radar up, we can walk into interactions with everyday situations and people differently. Now, if you're following along, what is compassionate and what's curiosity? Let's just unpack that. To be compassionate means to be moved to show empathy and genuine concern for someone. It means to be moved. Compassion is not just a thought or a feeling. It's literally a compulsion. It means to be moved to show empathy, to really get inside their world and have genuine concern for. Now, again, I don't know what you're like, but I can tell you that my story before Christ and after Christ, if I was to just you know, distill it down, it's, I think that my family would tell you and people that knew me pretty well. I was a person before Jesus, whether people could see it or not, whose main ulterior motive was to use people and see people as an ends to a means to further my program. After Jesus, 
His Holy Spirit poured his love into my heart and began, it's not that I can't still go back to my old ways, but began to give me now a desire to love people and see them differently and see them more like God saw them and to give me compassion rather than just manipulation and using people. And so compassionate is something the Holy Spirit does in the lives of us as believers that is such a gracious work and he wants us to pass that on now the curiosity is a strong desire if you're following along to know or learn something it's real interest a strong desire to know or learn something it's real interest what people were so struck by Jesus is that how interested he was in them they thought like there's a huge crowd here it's like it's just you and me talking, like, what is this? I can tell you're not just acting interested. You're really interested. Now, let me just say this. If you're here today and you have no interest in Jesus, can I just tell you that you could actually get better in your social skills if you just learned this? Here's what Dale Carnegie said. I think this is powerful. He says, to be interesting, be interested. To be interesting, be interested. How many of us have been with somebody and we went, they didn't ask me one question the whole time. They just talked about themselves. That wasn't interesting at all. And what happens is, is that you and I can be more engaging if we're interested. Again, this is not a shtick. If, if anybody's hearing me say, this is a technique, go out and use. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about being led by the Holy Spirit. But as you and I begin to go, hey, tell me more. Or, you know, ask questions. Draw people out. And be interested in their story. So this is compassionate curiosity. Now again, let me just invite you to look with me at John chapter 4. We'll make our way through. We're not going to read every verse, but I want you to see some things in this passage. So starting in verse 3, it says that Jesus left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, I know that I didn't just say Rochester, Chatham, Riverton, Williamsville. I didn't say words like we're used to. So let me just give you a quick lesson about geography, okay? In the Middle East there... Judea is down here, Samaria is here, and Galilee is up here. So it says that Jesus is leaving Judea to get up to Galilee. Most of us would go, okay, then he has to go through Samaria, right? No. Jewish people couldn't stand Samaritans. So what they would do, even though it was highly inconvenient because of their prejudice and their hatred, they would literally go around Samaria from Judea to Galilee or vice versa. But notice the next verse. It says... Now, Jesus had to go through Samaria. No Jewish person would have read that verse and went, yep. They would have gone, what? That would have been the reaction. Because Samaritans were half-breeds. Samaritans did not keep their race pure. When the exiles happened, they started to intermingle and intermarry, and they began to act like, you know, our Jewish heritage is not important. Everything God taught us of how to be his unique, distinctive people in the world, we don't care about that anymore. And they just began to be a mixed race, and so they worshiped to different places. They used a different part of the Bible. They had all kinds of differences, and they did not like each other. Now, Jesus had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar. Near the plot of ground, Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. If you're following along, Jesus has a divine appointment with a woman at a well. 
Jesus has a divine appointment with a woman of the well. Someone might say, how did Jesus know he had to go through Samaria? Because as he prayed, the father said, there is a woman in Samaria that I've been working in her life, and you are to go and meet her. And Jesus, even though he was tired, went and sat down at that well and it was not normally a time where anybody went to the well. It was noon, and it was hot, and that's when people avoided going to get water. But that's not when this woman came. And so, would you read in that first gray box the question Jesus starts the whole conversation off with? Let's read it. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? And goes on in verse 8. <clears throat> His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And some of you know that in the Middle East, men do not talk to women. In the Orthodox cultures there. That's why women wear burqas. That's why there's all kinds of things. And so the interactions are more behind closed doors, out in public. There is not that kind of thing. It's just not common. So I bring all this up if you're following along because the woman and his disciples are surprised that Jesus talks to her. The woman and his disciples are surprised that Jesus talks to her. Later, we'll see in verse 27, the disciples, when they come back from buying food, they're like, what? Because it's just not common. But Jesus breaks these social rules, and he starts with a question of, will you give me a drink? Now, some of us may think that all he's interested in is H2O. This question's loaded. He's simply saying, I know I'm a Jew, I know you're a Samaritan, I know I'm a man, and I know you're a woman. Would you be willing to have a conversation with me? I know everybody says we're not supposed to talk to each other, but would you talk with me? Would you have a conversation with me? And this woman goes, um, first of all, I'm a little suspicious. I'm a little cautious. I'm a little surprised. And I want to say this to you. If you try and engage in compassionate curiosity, don't be surprised if somebody is surprised. Don't be surprised if someone is suspicious, uh, like, what's this person's angle? Are they really interested in me? What's going on here? Are they kind of jacking me around with questions? What's going on? And just know, that's, it's because it's not as common anymore. We have gotten away from relating well to other people in our culture. It's just not as normal. Conversations just don't last. They stay surface. And Jesus is saying, can we go deeper than that? Will you give me a drink of water? Hmm, that got our attention. Now notice in verses 10 and following some things that happened. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now here's what I want to make sure I say. Asking questions is how we lead. It doesn't mean we never offer thoughts. It doesn't mean we never share something. But even then, do you notice how Jesus does it? He doesn't slam it into her. He basically says, hey, if you knew. In other words, could I just submit this to you? If you knew that there was an opportunity for living water, you know, would you be interested? 
And then notice verse 11. So, sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go call your husband and come back. In other words, it's appropriate for us socially if I'm going to keep talking to you, that your husband be here. Go call your husband. Come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where you must worship is in Jerusalem. And she kind of goes off on a tangent if you're following along in the notes, notice that Jesus doesn't force the conversation. He lets her go off on a tangent. Jesus doesn't force the conversation. He lets her go off on a tangent. In other words, these are the things that she's uncomfortable with or curious about, and so he lets her share that. Um, wow, okay, we're talking about my husband. Let's talk about the fact that you worship on one mountain, we worship on another mountain. Can we just talk about mountains for a little bit? Instead of husbands? And he doesn't he doesn't, he doesn't rebuke her as much as he just says, I already know that about you, and I'm still here. I see you. I see you. She felt compassion, even though she was wanting to go off on tangents. And Jesus, again, just gently and graciously brought her back to center line. He basically said, if you're worried about mountains, he said, uh, there's coming a day when it's not going to matter which place, the one you say or the one that you say, it's about those who worship him in spirit and in truth. That's what God's looking for. And then she says, I know that when the Messiah comes, he'll explain everything to us. And he said, you're talking to him right now. Whew. This whole conversation is absolutely blowing her mind. And so... Notice this, if you're following along, Jesus helps her name her thirst and share some of her story. Jesus helps her name her thirst and share some of her story. I was uh, visiting Pachuca, Mexico, uh, Greg and Vicki Syverson several years ago, and they showed me a video of some of mission work in a certain country. And as I watched it and heard this person's story, I just started to cry there on their couch. And Greg, who had been in junior high when I was a youth pastor here, now he and I are colleagues, and he sees me crying, and it's just quiet in the room, and I'll never forget it. Greg said, what do you want, Jeff? And I just remember thinking, that's the million-dollar question. And what Jesus was saying to her was, what are you looking for? I know that no other women come at noon. You're hiding. You're full of shame. You have a history. You have a story. What are you thirsty for? What do you want? And he just drew her out in a way that she'd never met anybody that took her seriously like that before. And it just shook her world. It was compassionate. It was curious. 
You know, sometimes when we talk about these subjects in church, um, we've been taught that we need to go out and we need to force conversations and get it turned around where it's about Jesus. The only problem with that is that we assume sometimes that God has already been working in that person's heart in a way where they're ready for that, and maybe he hasn't. And so what we're talking about here is just learning how to pay attention to see whether or not God is opening a door, whether or not he has been working in someone's life. Like, God had been working in my life when my friend talked to me. Listen to what Henry Blackaby shared. We, we read this years ago as a church, but I've never forgotten it. He said years ago, his church began to sense that they were supposed to start uh, an outreach ministry at the local university and tried to start, you know, some Bible studies. And he said, for over a year, we tried to start a Bible study in the dorms, and it did not work. One Sunday, our students, I pulled our students together and said, this week, I want you to go to the campus and watch to see where God is working and join him. They asked me to explain. I said, God had impressed on my heart that week two scriptures, Romans 3, 10 and 11. There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. And John 6, 44, no one can come to me, Jesus says, unless the Father who sent me draws him. I went on to explain, according to these passages, no one is going to seek God on his own initiative. No one will ask spiritual matters, ask after spiritual matters, unless God is already at work in their life. When you see someone seeking God or asking about spiritual matters, you are seeing God at work. I told our students, if someone starts asking you spiritual questions, whatever else you've planned, don't do it. Cancel what you're doing, go with that individual, and look to see what God is doing there. That week, our students went out to see where God was at work and join him. On Wednesday, one of the girls reported, oh, pastor, a girl who has been in classes with me for two years came to me after class today. She said, I think you might be a Christian. I need to talk to you. I remembered what you said. I had a class, but I missed it. We went to the cafeteria to talk. She said, 11 of us girls have been studying the Bible, and none of us are Christians. Do you know somebody who could lead us in a Bible study? As a result of that contact, we started three Bible study groups in women's dorms and two in the men's dorm. For two years, we tried to do something for God and failed. For three days, we looked to see where God was already working and joined him. What a difference that made. And friends, you and I have to decide, do we believe God is already at work in the world? Do we believe that God already cares more for people than we do? Because if we do, then we'll walk into the world with a greater sense of faith and a greater humility to say, okay, God, I'm not going to try and force doors down. I'm not going to try and jam things into people's lives. I'm going to watch to see, and then I'm going to be humbly, compassionate, and curious with the people, so help me, God. And when that begins to happen, it's powerful. It affected this lady. Now, let me go on. Moved, if you're following along, by Jesus' way, the way he interacted with her, she invites others by asking a question. So this woman is so moved that she literally goes and goes back into town. So it says, just then, verse 27, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. Again, that's the culture of that time. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar. That's very significant, friends. The woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward Jesus. 
Notice that she invites others by asking a question, could this be the Messiah? Now, while she's gone, notice if you're following along, Jesus asks his disciples a question and says, open your eyes. Jesus asks his disciples a question and says, open your eyes. So it's in verse 31. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him. Remember, they'd gone to get some food. Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. That his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And then would you read verse 35 with me in that second gray box out loud? Here's Jesus' question. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They're ripe for harvest. What's he talking about? People. People. God is in the life-changing business. Open your eyes. There's people you may not be able to tell at first. But if you have eyes to see, if you're in sync with me, if you're asking for open-door opportunities, I'll show you. I'll help you see. I'll help you engage with people in a compassionate, curious way like I do. I'll help you. Now, notice that he also says something else to his disciples. If you're following along, notice Jesus says to his disciples, I sent you to reap. I sent you to reap. He goes on and says that. He says, even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Verse 38, I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. What's he saying? You're about, I've been sent by the Father to come and bring people back to God. And now I'm asking you to join me. You're sent too. And I want you to be part of what God brings in the harvest of people. So look at verses 39 through 42. Many of the Samaritans from, the, from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. And if you're following along, as Jesus is compassionate and curious, God works in the whole town. As Jesus is compassionate and curious, Jesus works in a whole town. Question. Why are we doing this series? Why does this matter? Because God loves our town. He loves our world and the people in it. And we're his plan to join him. That means that our interactions matter. That means that he wants our antenna to stay up. Not where all the pressure's on us, but just to learn to humbly discern and walk through and be present with people and hoping that those interactions and rubbing shoulders, that it might point them to Jesus. And when that happens, <laughs> there's like no joy that compares to seeing that happen in someone's life. And so we got to get outside of ourselves. We've got to be a church that's turned outward, not just loving inside. I want to be that too but also compassion outside. So, so one question had the potential to touch a whole town. Can you imagine if each one of us get better at this, just 10% better this year? What might happen? What might happen? Now, I'll just be real honest with you. Since I've been trying to practice compassionate curiosity in the last two or three years, I've noticed how terrible I am at it. 
So if that happens to you, don't beat yourself up. Be compassionate with yourself. Be curious. But then keep moving in that direction, okay? So here's how do we do this. If you turn your notes over to the back, you'll see this week, by the way, in your journal that this is going to be the question if you're using those, and I hope you will. What are some of the questions you can ask those you are with this week that are both compassionate and curious? So I didn't want you to walk out of here with at least something that might trigger, something that might start. You may have better questions that are on here, but here's just several things. The goal is never to force a conversation, but to discern how God may already be at work in someone's life, okay? And so get to know a person's story. My dad used to say, if you get to know a person's story, the grace you will feel for them is huge. I found it to be true. Listen with eye contact. I love the verse that says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. You and I can be that kind of person. We can say, Lord, I don't necessarily feel a lot of love for this person. Give me your love for this person and let me convey that to them while I listen. And then notice, be sensitive to them and to the Holy Spirit as you listen. Dual tracking. Some people might say, I can't do two things at once. Yes, you can. Here's how I know. First of all, kids can play video games. Second, I had to learn manual transmission where I had to do about nine things at once. And second of all, I listened to what Snow White sang in Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. You can whistle while you... Right, that means you can do two things at once. That means that you and I can walk through work and we can pray. And there was a man named Evan Welsh that I heard about. I'd never met him personally, but I met his widow. And I, I learned that he would listen to people. And as he was listening, he had trained himself over time to say, Lord, what do you want me to see in this person while I'm listening and talking with them? What do you want me to notice? How can I be your presence to this person? And you and I can grow in this. We can grow in it. I'm not saying we'll get it right away, but we can keep moving in that direction. And that is possible. You can do this. So notice, here's some of the questions. Notice, by the way, ask open-ended questions like how or what more than closed questions. Over the last few years, people have told me, Jeff, I'm just not very good at welcoming new people to our church because I start with a question and then it makes me embarrassed. So I said, tell me more. And so they say, well, I'll say, have you been coming here long? That's a closed question, by the way, because what does it require? Yes or no answer. And they'll go, yeah, about nine years. Then I feel like an idiot. I said, well, try this. How long have you been coming? Nine years? Really? We've never met each other before. My name's Jeff. It's a completely different spirit, but it's a, it lets them use their mind. My, my roommate in college, it was re, his parents owned a nursing home, so when we were in college, he would go to the nursing home on Sunday evenings. I wasn't as comfortable, but I remember one night he came back to our dorm and he said, I was walking this guy to the bathroom because the nursing care was low, and I just started asking him questions. It took about 10 minutes to help him walk to the bathroom and get him back into bed. And while I was doing that, I just asked him about his family. I asked him about his life. And he starts crying. And I thought, oh, no, I really hurt this guy. And I said, I'm sorry if I hurt you. He said, no, I've lived here seven years. No one's ever asked me a question that didn't require yes or no. You're the first person that asked me to think. You're the first person to care about my story. There's thousands of people out there like that. You and I can be different. So here's the questions. Do you see them all? Where did you grow up? I'll just tell you two that I circled in my notes. What are you learning lately? What's been encouraging to you recently? What's encouraged you? I've asked people that in our community, and I've been fascinated. And they'll go, huh, hmm. A lot of times, why? Because no one's asked them that. I'm not trying to be cute. 
I just want to know what makes you tick. What's been precious to you? What's happening? The staff all teases me because I regularly, if I'm with a couple, I say, how did you meet? They all know it's coming. But I'll tell you this. I've learned so many things about people just by asking these questions. Can I get better? Totally. Now, if you'll turn your notes back over, notice this. Notice, what well am I sent to practice compassionate curiosity? What well? So what are the traffic patterns of your life? I think I've told you over the years, the reason I joined the Racket and Fitness Center for a number of years was to play tennis and rub shoulders because I work in a church office and I don't get to rub shoulders with people that are outside the family of God as often as some of you do. So I've got to be more intentional. For 16 years, I gave tours at the Frank Lloyd Wright Dana Thomas House downtown. Why? To rub shoulders with people I'd never meet. Why do I go to Little Saigon promiscuously every week? <laughs> so I can get to know the staff. This last month, Two of the staff that I knew their names and they knew my order, they've been so kind to me. I'd gotten to ask their story. One time I got there so early, nobody else was there. And one of the guys named Sky told me a story. Anyway, before they both left, Sky and Shu said to me, we're going to be leaving and we just wanted you to know this is our last week. And I said, I'm going to be praying for you. That you'll know God's hand on your life. Now, they didn't immediately go, Oh, how do I trust Jesus? Or I'm just saying is, it's, it's compassionate curiosity. I don't know all God's going to do in their life. I just want to be part of it. What's your well? There was a lady in the last service. She's going through cancer treatment and pain like she's never gone before. You know, all those appointments, she sees them as a well. A divine appointment. And she looks at them differently. Here's the last thing. Lord, teach me to listen first to you. And then this week, ask someone one question. So I tried to make it as simple as possible. If you walk out of here today, what if you ask someone one question this week? And you just, each, with each person, you, rather than saying, you know, again, I'm not saying you, you rush up to everybody, grab them and say, I have to ask one question this week. I'm not saying that. I'm simply saying, as you interact with people, what would it look like if you say, hey, you know, I don't know if I've ever asked you, where did you grow up? Tell me about your family. Whatever it might be, but compassionate curiosity. So, so much I could tell you. But when I was in California in July to preach for my college roommate at his church, two days before that, he asked if I wanted to go. He says, church every other Friday does uh, a county food bank. And I had never been part of one of those. And I said, sure. He said, it's about five or six hours because we've got to unload trucks and we've got to sort them. Then we've got to make sure everybody gets the food that comes. There's about 50 people that come. He said, most of the people that work to do that, they, um, they, they, they're, they're getting the food. So I'm working alongside this guy. He's 17, 18 years old. His name's Matt, I find out. And I just say, hey, Matt, how did you start doing this? And he said, uh, well, I've been in foster homes, and then I was in juvenile, and so I had to do part of this as public community service. And he said, but I don't want to quit. I, I, I loved it. And so I, I asked him a few more questions, and he said that, he had gotten separated from his dad, and he had been on drugs, and he'd been in juvenile and all this stuff. And I said, uh, well, man, he said, I've been clean for a while. He said, I don't want to ever go back to opioids again. So later, I just kept praying, Lord, I spent all these hours next to him. And uh, later, he said, well, what do you do? <laughs> and I knew. I said, well, I'm a pastor. So he goes, huh. Later in the conversation, he goes to me, so you're a man of God, huh? I said, well, 
in a manner of speaking. I don't know if my wife would say that, but yeah. The, <laughs> he said, uh, I said, what do you think about God based on all you told me? He said, well, I'm not against him, but I'm more open to him these days. I said, what made you be open? He said, my family getting reunited, finding my dad. I said, well, I'm going to be preaching this Sunday. Do you ever come with your grandma? He said, I'm coming this Sunday. Well, he didn't come that Sunday. His grandma told me his dad talked him into going to a race instead. But my friend Jim, I asked him this week, how's it going with Matt? And I'm just praying that Matt will come to know Jesus. Friends, if you open your journals, there's a place in the back for Sunday mornings or in the back of the notes. What's God saying to you? What does he want you to know? What does he want you to do? Would you take just a moment and write something down? And then here's the deal. Unless God makes a way, there will be no way. But we believe he wants to make a way in our relationships and through compassionate curiosity. That's our prayer. So take some time just to listen and then we'll sing. Thanks for joining us today. If you would like more information or to stay connected to Cherry Hills Church, please visit our website at cherryhillsfamily.org or follow us on Facebook.